and what this is going to take place, verses about 5 down through 8. And we're, most of us have already read this part, I'm sure. Uh, so we kind of know how this ends, but we really need to see that there's a lot of depth in here uh, about the sinfulness that takes place. But as well, what we find, and this is going to be the, the key for tonight that I want you to get, when we see the story of Cain and Abel, what we normally just see from our standpoint is the sinfulness and the wickedness of Cain to kill his brother. I want us tonight to focus a little less on Cain, right? The Bible's not about Cain. And this story isn't even all about Cain, by the way, right? It's even about his brother who stood and lived by faith. But even beyond the faith of Abel, this is about the faithful God who still offered grace and mercy to sinful man that did not deserve such. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, verse number one begins, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And here's where we're going to pick up tonight. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou, uh, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. As we look at here tonight, we're going to pick up here at the response of Cain. Both young men have offered up sacrifice to the Lord. One offers by faith. He offers a sacrificial blood. He knows the law of God. He knows the commands of God. He knows the responsibility that man has and in, in to uh, approach God. And that there is only one way to approach God, and that is God's way. As we talked about this past Sunday, it's the way of the cross. It's really, if you boil it down, it's the way of, of sacrificial atoning blood. Uh, there is life in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Abel would have known this, but so would have Cain. But Cain comes with the work of his own hands. But even worse than that, not only does he just come with fruits and vegetables, but he comes with fruits and vegetables and not a heart given to the Lord, without faith. You can have the finest fruits and vegetables, and you can even have the finest of blood offerings, but without faith, it is nothing. It's nothing but fruits and vegetables and a dead animal, a dead carcass. What we need and what God accepts and what God only accepts is faith alone. This is how God has always operated. God has always operated for salvation. Do not let anyone tell you that Old Testament saints were saved any different than New Testament saints. Old Testament saints were saved the same way that you and I were. That is by grace, right? It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Through faith, that is the, the means of which God has said, I'm offering you my grace, and you will either receive it by faith or you will reject it, right? One way or the other. And even to reject it is an act of faith, but it's faith in oneself, right? And to reject God, it's putting your faith in your own works, your own religion, your own ideas. So every act that we commit, even our sin, if we really think about it, is an act of faith. It's just faith in the wrong thing, right? It's faith that this other thing, or even myself, or this other situation, or this other, other thing that's not the Lord will satisfy me like God can. Well, it's very much faith, but it's faith in the wrong thing, right? Then what else we see is this. Through Christ is what we would say. Well, you say, well, Jesus hadn't died then. No, he hadn't, but the promise had already been made. God's promise had already been made, and the sacrifice, the sacrificial picture of the blood-atoning uh, sacrifice had already been made for them in the Garden of Eden. Who had done it? Well, Adam and Eve didn't do it. The Lord did it himself. 
I firmly believe that there in the garden that God Himself, in the form of the pre-incarnate Christ, goes, this is what must be done. And He clothes them. It's a beautiful picture really think about what happens the moment that we're saved. Right? He takes our, our sinfulness. He is now clothed in our sin. And we are now clothed in His righteousness. And it's through His blood. So we find we are always saved and always have been saved and always will be saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. It can never be of ourselves because we boast about it. It can never be by our own sacrifices. This is why it's not even by the sacrificial law of bringing an offering. Because remember, in the sacrificial Old Testament, you know, Levitical law, there were times where you'd bring grain offerings and things. we say, well, there's the fruits and vegetables. Or there's times where you bring uh, other blood sacrifices. How about the yearly uh, day of atonement? Nevertheless, none of those things could truly purge sin as far as the east from the west. Only the blood of Jesus can. Only by grace, through faith in who the Lord is. Now, as we come tonight, we see that both boys knew what to do. Right? But both boys took different actions and had different responses. But in this, we're going to look tonight at the response that Cain has to God's response. Now, what was God's response? God always responds to worship. I want you to know that. God always responds to your worship. Now, you and I always have the responsibility to worship because, to be honest, if we were to look at our lives, why is man put here? We were made to reflect uh, the glory of God back to God. We were made in His image and His likeness to uh, declare His grace and glory in this world and to give Him uh, by His grace, His glory that He deserves. And so what we see is that we were made ultimately for one purpose, and that is to worship our Creator. Not to worship the creation, but rather the creation drives us to worship, not the creation, but the Creator. It's always pointing us to the Lord and to worship Him, to adore Him, to bow our hearts before Him. Now, as we look at this, these boys knew that. They knew their purpose. They both approached the wrong way, and God responded. He responded one way to Cain, he didn't accept his sacrifice. Matter of fact, he didn't like it. Uh, he would not accept it. The idea of not having respect is that he said, that this isn't right. This is not what I've ordained. If we were to, if we were to hear the, the heavens opened or, or our roof open up on a Sunday morning, right, and, and the Lord go, that's not right, boy, we'd be afraid, wouldn't we? Right? Could you imagine that, though? What if every time you came in church, right, here, here's where we get, get a little... What if every time we came to church, we came with the wrong motive? Or we came with a heart that wasn't fully surrendered to the Lord? And God openly let us know about it. It just might change how we come, wouldn't it? Right? You see, this is why I believe here that when God accepts Abel's sacrifice, that he would have licked it up by fire and showing this, his absolute approval. Right? This was a pattern in the Old Testament. We also see in the New Testament that God is a, a consuming fire. What if the Lord... Did such a thing as that, right? But here's the thing. We don't see with our eyes the acceptance of the Lord. Rather, what we do know is this, that God will only accept worship one way, and that is His way. We must come in spirit and in truth. We come in, by faith. Now, in this, we then have a response to God's response. Have you ever thought about that? We can either get mad that God doesn't accept us as we are, or we can get happy and joy-filled that the Lord accepts our simple act of faith. You ever thought this, right? I, I'm not a singer, right? I'm not the singer of the family. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. Um, but just in the same way, Cammie's not the preacher of the family. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> but I'm not the singer of the family. Nevertheless, I like to sing uh, our songs. I, I love to stop and even listen to the, the sound of saints singing. And the great thing is this, no matter how good we sing or no matter how bad we sing, 
that we are singing unto the Lord by faith. God accepts that. There's nothing sweeter sounding. One of the greatest, one of the greatest ladies I've ever heard sing songs to the Lord in worship could not carry a tune in a five-gallon bucket with a lid. I mean, couldn't. Couldn't do it. But you know something? She sang from her heart. There was a time where she sang hymns with the wrong tune. She would sing one hymn to the tune of another hymn. I don't know how. I thought it was talent. right? But she did it. and She'd have tears just going down her cheeks and just... She even came in church one day, right? And this is a tiny little church. I was at Bible college, and I'm thankful for that, that little time. She came in one day, and it was, she was going to sing. She pulled out this note paper, and she said, I, I love all of our hymns that we sing, and I just wanted to sing something different. So the Lord gave me this song, and it was a song that she had made up on her own and had written all these words down. It didn't rhyme. It still didn't sound good. But God was glorified, right? We've got to understand this, that uh, God cares about our heart and our heart coming before Him. And we have the choice of how we respond to God's response. We can either one, as Abel does, thank you, Lord. <laughs> you accept my worship? Well, that's all because of your grace and your goodness anyway, so I'll just praise you some more. Right? When we think about this, what should worship do? It should cause us to worship all the more. When the Lord shines His face upon us or gives us His presence or demonstrates His goodness to us, what should it do? Cause us to worship all the more. There's never a set time where you go, well, this is the appointed time for worship, and that, that's it. That's what God gets right there. No, it's everything in our life, everything that God does, and even just His person and His acceptance of our time in church. You ever thought that you ought to leave church, go eat you some lunch, and after lunch you worship the Lord a little bit more? Going, well, Lord, thank you for the time we had today. God, thank you for the songs. Thank you for the message. The preacher is terrible, but the, the Bible will still preach, or whatever it might be, right? And we could still praise God for something. Our, our attitude should be constantly seeking to give God glory, give God honor, give God worship. But Cain's response here is what we're going to focus on here. It says that first of all, and Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Sadly, when most of us leave church, and I see all of you when you leave church, and I mean this out of the bottom of my heart with all the love I can muster, sometimes when we leave church, you look as if you are very wroth. <laughs> some of you look wroth. Some of you look very wroth. And some of you look like your countenance has fell. Ought not be so, brethren. When we will come to worship the Lord, you, you ought to be able to smile a little bit. Even if the message was one that might have hurt your feelings, stepped a toe, that's fine, it did it to me too. Three days, four days before I, I even preached it, right? Nevertheless, we should never leave worship and never leave true worship. True worship, by the way. Truly worshiping the Lord will never leave us with a downcast spirit. Rather, when we truly worship the Lord, it will lift you up. As you lift Him up, you know what's going to happen in the process? You're going up too, right? That's the way that works. We're just benefactors of being able to bless and praise the Lord. As we extol Him, as we magnify Him, well, He at the same time is pulling us up closer to Him. So the higher He gets lifted up in our life, the higher we go too. And so we should understand this, that when we leave worship, when we do worship, we should never leave it at this place of we're very wroth. I mean, we're foaming at the mouth. We're angry, right? And that our countenance has fallen. But Cain had a right to, it seems. Why? Because God didn't accept him. But you know something? He's having the wrong response yet still in this. And Let's look at that. Salem writes, 
Cain's response is twofold. One, anger against God. Two, anger against his brother. By focusing on Cain's anger instead of his offering, the author front loads his lesson on pleasing offerings with a subtle warning. Uh, By their fruit you will know them. Matthew 7.20. That's what the Lord says. By their fruit you will know them. And literally here, Cain brings his fruit. And we know him by his fruit. His fruit would have been and has turned into not just bringing an offering that came by faith in himself and his own works, but we see that it would lead to now we know Cain as the one who killed Abel. We don't view him as this one that loved the Lord. We don't view him as one that walked with the Lord or praised the Lord. Rather, we see him as one who didn't know how to worship God, refused to worship God God's way, and even killed God's creation. The first murder here. Look at this. You see, what happens in this as he, he responds by getting very angry and his countenance falls, he is going under the same pattern as his parents. Cain follows the way of Adam and Eve after the fall and blaming horizontally and vertically for the depth of one's own sinful action. This is the pattern of our sinfulness, isn't it? When we sin, it is always somebody else's fault, right? And then we think we're spiritual when we say foolish things, right? Like, well, the devil made me do that one. Well, if the devil made you do anything, you don't belong to God. The devil don't make you do nothing, right? We're enticed by our own lustful hearts. If the devil can make you do something, that means you still belong to him. Right? Who the Son has set free, he's free indeed. That means we're no longer slaves to the devil. We're no longer slaves to sin. Uh, while we still have on this old flesh, while we still live in this sinful world, in this uh, sin-cursed body, when we still have this old man who likes to rear his ugly head and to tell us how good the old way was, then here's what happens. We still have this battle to fight. We still have to mortify this sinful flesh, mortify this sin that is within us that constantly wants its own way. Now, in this, if we remember back in chapter 3, as soon as they sin, God comes to them, right? They're hiding behind a tree. They're covered with fig leaves. And He starts talking to them. And what do they do, right? It says, let's look here. Back in chapter 3, we'll go to verse number 12, right? He's talking to Adam. And the man said, the woman, horizontal, that, the woman, he's going, that one right there, the only one that's in this garden, she is the one given by you. So who does Adam really blame? Well, God, had you not given her to me, I wouldn't be in this mess. Me and you had a fine thing going on. Me and you were fine until the woman came, right? So he blames his wife. Cowardly of a man he was, wasn't he? Unable to own up to his own sinful nature, his own sinful condition. And then what does he do? Then he has the nerve to say, you know, Lord, she's the woman that you gave, so don't forget that. James also goes on to tell us not only that we can't blame the devil, but we can't blame God either. We can't blame the devil for our sin. We can't blame God for tempting us as there's others that would say such. We ourselves are the ones that sin. Now, in this, we find that he goes and follows suits in the blame game. He blames, well, that, that Abel, right? He's very wroth. Who's he very wroth with? Well, never do we find that he's wroth with himself. I tell you what, it, we would do us some good if we got angry at ourselves for our own sin. We get angry at our brothers and sisters for looking at us the wrong way or sinning or we get upset because someone's doing something wrong that they shouldn't be doing and they know better and we get all sorts of fretted over it. But boy, we don't get near as fretted over our own sin, do we? You see, we mourn the sin of others. Matter of fact, we, we barely even, we don't even mourn the sin of others. We just get mad at the sin of others and we never mourn our own sin. This is our problem. This is what sinful nature does. This is what the flesh does. And so Cain, he doesn't get mad at himself and going, man, you know, I messed up today. 
I need to go back to the Lord. What he does is what Adam and Eve did. Is instead of going to the Lord to make it right, runs from the Lord. He runs to his, his own sinful mind that is now wandering and going, well, it's, it's Abel's fault. He's a, he's a show-off, right? He's a know-it-all. He's got to show me up, right? He's always been mom and dad's favorite. I mean, there's a million things that could be going on through his mind at this point. Much like Adam going, the woman that you gave, right? Go, well, well God, you know, I made this. I give you the best fruits and vegetables I had. I give you the work of my hands. And all he did was take some silly lamb and weren't going to do nothing with it and, and kill it. Right? He's missing the whole point of worship. And all the while what he's doing, and when we miss worshiping God for who God is, we're still worshiping, but now we're worshiping ourselves. When we leave the worship service, right? When we leave the worship of God, what's supposed to be the worship of God, and we're leaving wrath, and we're leaving with our countenance fallen, you know why? It's because we didn't worship God that day. We worshiped ourselves and we're not satisfied with that. Because we realize that we are worshiping and have made an idol of ourselves and we can never be satisfied. We can never satisfy ourselves. But yet we're still trying because we want the place of God. That's what our sinful nature wants. Our sinful nature wants the place that only God alone should have and, and, and deserves. Right Now, in this, Sorensen writes, the outworking of the sinful fallen nature of Cain, right? He said, i.e. his flesh, right? that's the idea here, began to manifest itself. Not only was he angry, he then became dejected, depressed, even pouting for being passed over. The simple principle, doing right brings peace and doing wrong brings trouble is evident. Now, all throughout the Old Testament and through the New Testament, what we're going to find is this, truth. Some just say, well, it's just an Old Testament promise. Well, maybe so to Israel, but certainly we see the fruits of the New Testament, and that is this. God's going to tell His people, if you obey Me by faith, right? You... I give you my word, I tell you what I'm going to do, I tell you what you need to do, and you obey, what does he say is going to happen? They'll be blessed. Praise the Lord. But then he says on the other side, but if you don't, notice that, it, over and over and over again in the Old Testament, if you do this, then I will do that, and you will be blessed, right? Praise God. But if I tell you this, and you do what you're not supposed to do, well, there will be judgment. There will be punishment for that. And so, here's what happens though. Israel would do that which is wrong and go, well, I can't, God must have left us. He must have forgot His promises to us. I can't believe this is terrible. We're going to just keep making some more gods and keep going our own way and keep wondering how come things are getting worse and worse and worse. Well, it's because we're disobeying the Lord. And so we find ourselves in this place, much like Cain oftentimes, where we go, well, I know what God said, and I, I tried my best, and I did all this, and I did this, that, and the other. And he's still not happy. He's, he's done left. He's done forgot about it. He's not holding up to his end of the bargain. No, the issue is obedience. Obedience by faith. Both obeyed in the sense that they brought an offering, but only one truly obeyed because he brought an offering by faith and he brought what God required. In this, we have to understand that inward idolatry, inward idolatry always leads to outward immorality. It is never outward immorality first, Right? A fornication or adultery or, or stealing never happens first. It's always happened here and here first. Sin always happens right here. Idolatry is the cause of immorality. I would not do an outward sin. Lying, right? Stealing, gossiping. I would never do any of those things if the Lord had the place in my heart that He should have. The issue of sin all comes down to this. How do you view the Lord? In the moment of our sin, our sin is this big and God is this big. 
But really, God is this big, right? And He keeps going. And our sin is this big, but we think that this tiny little thing is going to satisfy us, and it never can, it never does. But yet we still go after it, we go after it, and go after it, because sin is fun for a season. Sin is pleasurable for a season. And that season doesn't last long, does it? It leaves us going over and over and over again, around and around and around, and we wonder why we never find victory. We never wonder why we, we have all these issues in our life. We've got to understand, sin, before we have murder, we've got hatred. Before we have hatred, what do we have? We have a, a young man who has approached God, but he himself has made himself God in his own heart. That sin itself, every sin that you commit, every sin that I commit, it begins with idolatry of the heart. That we view ourselves as big as God is. And we view God as small as we are. That's idolatry of the heart. Now we would never say that with our sin, would we? We would never say that when we tell a little white lie or if we tell a little gossip or if we maybe steal something or, or maybe if we get into those big gross sins that we don't ever say that we do or never would want to do. But you notice with every single sin that we commit, that's what it boils down to. Now in this, here's what we find. We find this sl- terrible, terrible road that sin leads us down, right? But then here's what we find though, the response of God. God comes much like He did to Adam and Eve, doesn't He? Adam and Eve could have been kapoof, done just like that as soon as they sinned. Cain, as soon as he brought a wrong offering, kapoof, done just like that. And God would have been just. Think about it. God's going to do that later on in the Old Testament, by the way. You keep on reading, there's going to be a few folks who offer the wrong sacrifice. God says, nope. There's going to be a one who, who thinks he's doing right by trying to hold up the ark that's fallen. Done. There's going to be a couple of people in the New Testament who give uh, a, a good chunk of money to the church, but they held back a piece. And it's not that they held back some, it's that they lied about holding back some. And God says, poof, poof. Now, I don't know if he said poof, but he, they, they were dead. All right? I'm sure the poof was much more thunderous than that. Nevertheless, they died for their sin. God takes sin seriously, and Cain could have died. And even if we understand sin and we understand God's holiness, should have died. What do we find, though? Every time we find God's justice, we always find mercy. We always find God's grace all throughout this. David Guzik writes, God dealt with Cain in terms of loving confrontation instead of automatic affirmation. God made it clear that Cain would be accepted if he did well. Notice that. It's conditional. God has revealed Himself, has given His expectations, given us all that we need to know to worship Him. And the ball is in your court if you will surrender to that or not. Regardless of, uh, you can have arguments all day long, God has given us a will. And you either will or you will not. Right? It, it does boil down to that as, as simple as that. You will either worship God as you are not just obligated to, because that's the wrong way of looking at it anyways, but obediently worship Him as we ought to. Right? Obey Him as He deserves. In this, Cain could have done well. Cain could have done from the first place what his brother was doing and coming by faith, but he didn't. Then the second thing, Cain had another opportunity here. The moment God accepts Abel's and not his, he could have said, Lord, something's wrong. I've got to get something right. Don't think that Cain in that moment didn't know something wasn't right. He knew. He knew instantly. It says here, Guzik writes, Of course God knew the answers to the questions he asked, but he wanted Cain to know and to resist the pull toward violence and anger within. Notice this, he says, And the Lord said in him, verse number 6, 
Lord speaks unto Cain and says, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Now, does God know? Yes, of course God knows. But what is He doing? Go back to chapter 3, verse number 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam. This is exactly right after they sinned. And He said unto him, Where art thou? Now, do you think that the omnipresent, that means present everywhere, from past, present, and future, but as well as everywhere in between, do you think that that God did not know where Adam was? Of course He did. He absolutely did. He's the one that made the fig leaves that covered his nakedness and made the tree that he was hiding behind, that he couldn't really hide behind. It's, a, it's a, like the idea, our sin is much like a little child that says, if I can't see you, you can't see me. And Adam goes hiding behind this tree going, well, if I can't see God, he, he can't see me, right? Maybe he won't notice that I'm naked and that I've sinned against him. Of course he does. So why did God ask Adam, where are you? Because in God asking these questions, what is He doing? He is extending a moment of His grace to say, will you come or not? Will you come to the place that you need to be? It, is a mo- it, it does not mean that God's going to let them off scot-free. right? It does not mean that God's going to say, well, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. What it means though is, if you come and there's repentance and faith, that there's restoration. Everyone that comes to the Lord by faith, and trusts and puts themselves upon His mercy, He will in no wise cast out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that mean whosoever? It absolutely does. But the issue is this. God has extended His grace and His mercy, but very few come. Most want to hide behind the tree, hide behind their fig leaves, or hide behind their fruit and vegetable offering that they made, and pout. Well, God must not love me. Well, God must not like what I got. And I tried my best. So I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home or I'm going to find some other God to worship. It's such a shame. Some people out there thinking, nobody loves me. I'm just going to go eat worms. It's a shame, isn't it? You think about it. Here's what we see though, is God's grace and mercy is extended. God's grace and mercy is extended here to Cain. If I'm the Lord in this situation, what do you think I'm doing? We're sending lightning bolts. God instead sends grace. In this, just as God had gone asking questions that He already knew the answer to with Adam and Eve, God's grace seeks the sinner, offering a moment of repentance to restore the sinner back to His presence. What do you think God desires to do in this world today? Do you think God desires to damn every sinner that's out there? I don't believe so one bit. I believe that the Lord certainly would desire some folks to come to Him. I believe that's why He hadn't come back yet. The Lord is still allowing a great period of time right now. You think about this. We're going to get into this in in probably, I don't know, three, four months when we get into Noah. (laughs) No, it won't take that long. When we get into Noah, you know what we're going to find? God's going to say 120 years you got Noah to build this boat. And in that 120 years, He's giving mankind a preacher who's whacking away with a hammer and preaching the Word and saying, repent. That's it. The, The message of God's prophets have always been the same. Repent. That's it. It's never changed. And for 120 years, you know how many converts Noah had? None. We know that his family got on the boat. Praise God. But even a couple of them didn't turn out so hot. Now here's what we find though. 2 Peter 3.9, right after telling us all about the coming day of the Lord is this. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, 
but is long-suffering to us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why? Because the day of the Lord's coming, and it's coming as a thief in the night is what he goes on to say. But the Lord is extending here in this moment to Cain as he extends to you and to this world that we live in right now a moment of grace and mercy. I believe as the Bible tells us that we're living uh, as it, when the Son of Man comes, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Well, if we remember the days of Noah, there weren't many converts, were there? But yet Noah still had all that time to build, prepare, to preach. And God, even in the middle of while there was no converts, His grace and mercy was still offered. You know, no one got on the boat besides Noah and his family, but nevertheless, they heard the truth. We've got to understand that God is giving us an opportunity to continue to preach the truth, and it is up to the God's grace and His mercy for the results. We'll trust Him with that. He's entrusted us with His truth. He's entrusted us with this time that we live in now to preach His Word, so that's what we must do. Now, as we look at this, God's patience towards sinners, it is always there. We're thankful for it. His mercies are everlasting, everlasting. Uh, Vernon McGee writes this. He says, To do well would be to bring that which God had accepted from Abel, a sacrifice and acknowledgement that he was a sinner. Do not think that just because it is not explicitly written that Abel came in sackcloth and ashes or uh, in repentance that he didn't come in repentance. Anytime that you come with true worship that God accepts, it's coming from a humble and contrite heart. God won't accept it any other way. As a matter of fact, God says, it, don't accept the wisdom of the world. He doesn't accept the strength of man. He accepts the one that comes with a humble and contrite heart. What is humble and contrite heart? Well, it's nothing but repentance and faith. Because if we are repenting and, and having a, a turn, a change, that means we're not just turning from something, but we're turning to something, and really especially to someone. We're turning to the Lord, trusting in His promise and His provision. John R. Rice writes, Cain could have had mercy. Now I want to stop that for a moment. Think about how many folks could have had mercy. Those, you know, the Bible tells us that God says Himself, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, right? But how many folks have missed out on God's mercy when it's been offered? Simply because they don't want God's mercy, they want to be God themselves. God offers mercy, but when we accept God's mercy, what else do we have to accept at the same time? That we're not God, and that we're sinful, and that we need His mercy just to be saved. And we don't like that message. You see, the preaching of mercy is one that is beautiful for those who trust God because we see, oh my, how merciful God is. But for those who do not have a heart of faith, they go, well, mercy shows me that I must need mercy and He has pity upon me. Well, well, I'm not all that bad. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as Eve. I'm not as bad as Cain. Right? But really, we are. Rice continues on. He says, A sin offering was ready if he had wanted to acknowledge the need for a blood atonement and his faith in the coming Messiah. He, too, could have offered a lamb, but he did not. Think about this. We sing a song every now and again. It may have been a little while. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Right? Hear my humble cry. Right? While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Right? Think about this. In a church service, the same God, the same message is very much here and present. But the issue of whether we receive something from the Lord when we come here or every time we open up His Word, that's entirely dependent upon if your will and your hands are open to the Lord or not. 
you will never receive anything if you're looking around or if you're going, well, I'm the best dressed in this place today, so I must be right with God, or I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or if, you, if you've spent no time in prayer before you come to worship, or you, before you come to your devotions, don't expect to receive anything, because you never will. You see, we should always have open hands with the Lord. Why? Because God is always willing and desiring to give to His children. The issue is whether we ask or not. The issue is whether we come asking, pleading, seeking Him, desiring Him. Have you ever noticed that? The ones that are used of God are ones who pray. And they're not ones who just merely pray. Everyone prays, right? Even to false gods or even to themselves. They still pray. But these are people who are full of prayer, full of trust, full of dependence upon the Lord for all things. And they are truly richly blessed by God. You see, God's mercy is always available to sinners. But the difference is that not every sinner receives such by faith. You'll never receive God's mercy without faith. Faith and mercy work hand in hand. God extends mercy, but you won't know it's mercy unless you trust that it's mercy. Does that make sense? Right? God gives you grace, but you won't know that it's grace or know the gift of grace unless you trust it by faith. And this is something that must be illuminated to us and shown to us. Going, look, it's nothing that I can do. It's nothing and anything that I can bring. But it's all of God's grace. Look at what I deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve to... I deserve... We've got to understand this for Cain and Abel and for the whole Testament and for ourselves today. Every time they sacrificed that lamb for the Day of Atonement, right? You know what should have been going through their minds? And I don't know if it was or not. It should be this. I should be that one that's died. I should be that one who is having its blood drained from its body. But I'm not. What we've got to understand with our salvation and every day of our life truly is this. Instead of me being dead like I deserve, Jesus was bled. He was bled out for us. His blood flowed for us. So instead of me dying the death that I deserved, Jesus died the death that I deserved. Therefore, in that, I should receive God's mercy by faith. I should receive His grace by faith. I must trust in Him because it should be me, but instead it's Him. Instead there is a sacrifice. Instead there is a mediator. Another commentator writes, God talks to Cain as to a willful child and draws out of him what is sleeping in his heart and lurking like a wild beast before his door. And what He did to Cain, He does to everyone who will but observe his own heart and listen to the voice of God. When God speaks, it does a couple things. One, it should open up our ears, but it should open up our heart for our heart to see who we are, who God is, and to let Him in there. To let Him do a work in us that He greatly desires to do. He desires to bless His children. The reason why we stay so unblessed and we stay so full of wrothness and with fallen countenance is because we just want to be that way. We want to be sour. We want to be bitter. We want to be unforgiving. We want to be all those things because we want the control with our own hands. In this, we find this truth that faith always wins. Faith always wins. It's always on the winning side, if you will, but those who walk in the flesh truly lose. While it might seem that they prosper in this world at times, ultimately, if we can sing, we're on the winning side, their song would be, they are on the losing side. We're already more than conquerors through Christ. Instead, they are defeated right now. 
But they can receive God's mercy just as much as we can. It's whether they receive it by faith. And lastly, what we find is this, the retaliation of Cain. You see, Cain could have, as the eldest boy, could have had the inheritance, but he chose not to live by faith. His flesh will conquer him instead. The Lord says to him in verse 7, if you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, well then sin's lying at the door. Much like the, the commentator who said it's like a, like a wild beast before his door. I think that's the way we've got to see sin. It's coming to devour you. It's not coming to, to give you Girl Scout cookies. It, it, it's coming to destroy you, to wreck your life. Every sin, great and small. And he says this, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Meaning this, it could be your birthright. You're the eldest. You could rule over him. You could have your place. But Cain won't have it. And Cain's going to miss out on all the blessing that could have been his if he would have trusted by faith. Here's what we find though in verse 8. Cain's response escalates, as sin always does. Sin in the heart of man, it is a spark on a dry land that ignites into a wildfire. And it will burn and consume everything in its past, whether innocent or not. It will consume all that it touches, and it will burn it with a fury. It is a disastrous thing. You see, this would-be Messiah becomes a fleshly murderer against his own brother, mind you, out of pride, jealousy, and unbridled fleshly rage. Just for sake of time tonight, it won't be able to go through it, but Exodus 20, we find God gives the commandments, thou shalt not kill. Well, you say, what does that mean? Does that mean... You know, you can't kill in combat. You can't kill in self-defense. No, that means you can certainly do those things. Kill there in that word is very clearly understood in the Hebrew as murder. It is a premeditative act. Here, what takes place is not some sort of reaction or self-defense by Cain. Rather, what's happening is a full-on premeditated, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to slaughter him. And I'm going to slaughter him because he slaughtered an animal and got favor with God, and I didn't, so therefore I'm going to slaughter him. And st- think about this. Cain could have been right with the Lord by going, asking his brother for a lamb, and say, I've got to go make sacrifice to God and get this right. And God would have had mercy for him. He would have been able to receive God's grace by faith. But instead, what does he do? Instead of slaughtering an animal as a sacrifice, he slaughters his own brother as a sacrifice to his own lustful heart. Cain would make sacrifice that day, but it would be his brother. And it would still not fulfill the lust of his own flesh. Here's what we see. Cain talked with, his, with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Both of them went to work the field. One worked for the fruits and vegetables of the land. The other one worked as the shepherd. What we see is this. This pride-filled, premeditated murder. The lexicon for the word slew him is this. It means to kill, to slay, implying ruthless violence, especially that of private violence. Some people think that Cain just walked up, grabbed a big rock, and snuck up behind his brother like a cartoon, right? And just clunked it on his head, and that was it. This is not the case. Much like Abel would have slew that animal and let the blood flow in a violent way. It's a very violent thing to make a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice. 
Cain does the same thing towards his brother. And we're not told all of which how, but what is certainly implied here is that it's not pretty. It may not even be swift. It is full of violent, fleshly rage. Unbridled sin is what takes place here. Guzik writes, and this, by the way, is just going to be the start of what's going to lead to the flood, by the way. If we remember, God comes to them and He talks about their violence and their wickedness when He's coming to Noah. They've grown so violent. It begins right here. Now here's what he says. Guzik writes, The sense is that Cain planned to catch Abel by surprise, lulling him with pleasant conversation. This shows Cain committed premeditated murder and therefore clearly ignored God's way of escape. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him, slew him. Right? No human had ever died or been killed before. But Cain saw how animals were killed or to be killed for sacrifice. He extinguished Abel's life in the same way. The downward course of sin among the young human race progressed quickly. Now the hoped-for Redeemer was found to be a murderer, and the second son was the victim of murder. Sin wasn't stopped at the root, or man's moral condition quickly improved. Sin could not be contained. It only got worse, hasn't it? And if we're not careful in our own hearts, it will go from something small, something insignificant in our eyes, to a wildfire, or to killing our own brother. You say, well, I might, I've never risen a hand against a brother. Oh, but if you've been bitter, unforgiving, or had hatred in your heart, yes, you have. That's what Jesus says. James tells us this, and we'll be done. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's what we find here. That same verse that James gives there was true for Cain, and it's true for us today. You see, the very basis of every sin is unbelief in God's promise and provision. And even more so in that, it's unbelief in God's authority. When we don't trust God's promise, it's His Word, and we don't trust God's uh, provision, His work, then what are we doing? We're really saying, I don't trust You, Lord. I don't trust what You've said. I don't trust what You've done. That, my friend, is unbelief. Unbelief is nothing less than idolatry. Blasphemy. And that leads to the worst of immoralities. But it comes from the inner man. How we view God is the greatest of importance in our life. The only thing next to that and below that that comes right behind, how you view the Lord, and the next, how you view yourself. Because if you get those wires crossed, you'll be in a world of hurt. May we thank God that He has offered and extended His grace and His mercy to us and that we can still receive today by faith. May we still praise God that He is still patient, long-suffering to us. May we praise the Lord that there is a way and it's not through our works of our hands and it's not through the blood of bulls and goats, but rather through the precious Lamb of God who has already died for us the death that we deserved, but He has risen to give us life that we could never have on our own. So may we live in this life for Christ, for His glory, for His honor, and that we might praise and worship Him by faith, the way of Abel, and to never, ever live in the way of Cain. Amen? Let's pray tonight.
will be dismissed. God, we want to thank you for this night. We're grateful for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. We thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for teaching us through your word. God, we thank you, Lord, uh, that there is a way. And it's not through our works. It's not through our hands. But God, it's through your, your word and your work, the personal work of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, may we trust in him. May we be full of faith tonight. Go with us now as we go uh, from this place. And we be used of you, full of faith. And God, may we be obedient to your word and to your spirit. Use us as we go. And Lord, that you be glorified in our life and all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a blessed night. We'll see y'all Sunday morning.